0: If you're interested in joining me for the Herbal Oils and Salves Challenge, then go to homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Again, that's homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils.
1: Hey you guys, this is Josh
0: and Carolyn from
1: Homesteading Family, and welcome to this week's episode of the Pantry Chat Food for Thoughts.
0: This week we are going to be answering your questions. We're gonna talk about storing dehydrated food, garden pests, digital businesses, and more. So hang out. Yeah,
1: some good stuff. And uh, I feel like we're kind of in your face a little. We're up yeah, close we're to the camera. Close. Um, well, yeah, <laughs> we're in a different spot. It's nice to be out. We're finally having good weather. And um, it has been wet, cool June. I'm noticing that the lilacs in a lot of places are still blooming. That's yeah. That's just weird. Um, it's slow. But anyway, so we had to do an impromptu setup here, and um, it's very nice out.
0: And you're going to hear everything that goes by even remotely close to us, like... Motorcycle, maybe right now. So I think
1: that might be the train. Oh,
0: the train! That'll get and, even louder.
1: Uh, we may have to pause for the train see, <laughs> see what it does Just here. See how it goes. Yeah, we've got somebody out on pasture mowing a little bit and cleaning up. Lots of good stuff happening. That is
0: one thing that the the cool and wet spring has been really good for. Is the
1: well, it has been. And I was actually thinking about talking about this today was grass because you don't see us do a lot on on pasture. Mm-hmm. And these first few years here, we've been having to do a lot of infrastructure work and then trying to get some of the pasture. that was very, very depleted going. Yeah. And then we had drought last year and challenges. And finally, we're starting to get things going and we're actually going to get a rotation. Uh, we've had the meat birds out mm-hmm. on pasture, but we're we're now getting the dairy cow out. We're going to get the sheep out. and beef cows are in another area they're more more um um, forest grazing but it's nice that it has been very good for getting grass established this year very nice yeah and uh to where we can start to utilize more of our property
0: in a beneficial way when you are homesteading or farming you have to make a practice of looking at the upside right (laughs) you have to make a practice of what it is identifying what it is that's going right, because sometimes <laughs> it's not all going right. right. green beans and peas are maybe not going right this year. They did not appreciate the cool wet.
1: No, we, we would usually be harvesting, we'd be thick into peas right now. And they're, most of them are this tall and a couple are that tall. That's just, just the temperature, it's just the weather. So. Um, but it's good. We were so dry last year. We've got to just see that that thankfulness, Mm -hmm. and now we've got a lot of water. Everything's recharged so much that the septic's having problems. (laughs) It's always something. Um, and and it just is. So you're saying there's just there's there's a benefit, and then there's a challenge. Yep. Yeah, and that seems to be the way of it.
0: We got to practice looking on the sunny side, right? Yeah. Good. So speaking of pasture, you actually just got to spend a week with joel salatin
1: well yeah i did i spent a week with joel salatin and i spent a week with justin rhodes um and both most of that was out on pasture so yeah we're doing a class with joel for the school of traditional skills on reclaiming pasture really really excited about this Uh, joel is is one of my heroes and so it was an honor just to get to be there with him um but uh to, to hear what he had to say and to see his farm and to learn how to bring up pastures. Most of us, if we're buying land, if you guys are thinking about buying land or you have, the land is degraded. And so, um, you know, there's one thing to do for gardens. But when you're trying to get that pasture up and going and you have limited resources, that can be really, really challenging. And, and um, he shows shows us how to do that with, that, with very low inputs. I mean, he doesn't seed any of his pastures.
0: That's really exciting.
1: And they're lush and they're beautiful. So anyways, that, yeah, I, I could go on for a long time. On just what an experience that was. You know,
0: I was really intrigued to hear how he actually leases these properties that are really run down. Yes. in really bad shape and he turns them around just with his grazing like you're talking about he's not seeding it he's not doing other things he's just putting the animals in there
1: and you know what's really cool on top of that is he does that profitably for the business Mm. and so he's bridging a couple gaps it seems like you know can you be ecologically sound can you improve the land can you make it more abundant more productive and remain profitable while you're grazing in his case grazing cows chickens pigs Um, And the answer is yes. And of course, he's the master at that and has developed this over the last 50 years, 50, 60 years. Um, And and his dad kind of led the way with him. It was interesting to hear some of the story. And and, um, but anyways, that's really exciting because that can be done. And it provides a lot of hope that whether you're you're just homesteading. For the sake of yourself, you can take cheaper degraded land and you can improve it. Now you gotta have patience. That's yeah. one of the biggest things I learned from here. And these things take time. If you time, if you have money, you can you can definitely do additional inputs. Yeah. You can get there faster. But if you're patient, you can get there. And if you're gonna run a business from your land, you can do that as well and improve this degraded poor land. That's really very, exciting. very, very cool. It's really exciting. and real quick. Just so I know we, we don't want to go on here, but, you know, the following week being with Justin Rhodes and, and that's a different picture because Joel's working on a very large level. Uh-huh. The neat thing about what he does is it can be scaled from one acre to a thousand acres. You know, um, now with Justin, it was more on a homestead like ours with the Rhodes family and just seeing they've been on their land um, their whole life pretty much. Right. And so seeing where they've been there for a couple of decades now, applying a lot of these principles, but on a homestead scale with all the rotation and, you know, everything we're doing here. But they're they're 20 years advanced um, in in that on that land and seeing it all work in that way, which is working very, very well. Here comes that bright
0: sun. That's do, you, a,
1: do you need ooh, a hat?
0: Oh, <laughs> I should have brought out a hat, but it's going to go <laughs> away. Just, Oh, thank you. Okay. I will be a meat. She's, Smith she's
1: got today. the meat. Smith. Bra- like. Brandon Shear, the <laughs> farmstead meatsmith. I got to spend a week with him a few weeks ago. Yeah. And, uh, he is just the homestead butcher. So, so much fun. And, yeah.
0: So for those of you guys who have not been following along with us, what we're talking about is a brand new project that we're working on right now where we're bringing a bunch of different creators together to create classes for you, for, um, for learning how to homestead, yeah, learning I mean, how to be more resilient. And it's really exciting. We're really excited. So you got to stay tuned for more announcements. But August 1st is the big day where you get to actually take action and do something to yep. move forward to being part of this new new project we're on
1: yeah a lot a lot of neat people involved just right here joel salatin justin rhodes brendan Sheard, um Carolin's teaching the class i'm there. involved i'm a really Melissa neat Kate Norris, <laughs> and of all trades lisa bass from farmhouse on boone those are just a few and we'll, we'll keep we'll keep letting you know as, we, as before august comes out and then you'll get the full picture but very very exciting exciting stuff yeah. so
0: okay okay Um, So that's kind of what you've been doing, really. You have not been doing a lot here because you've been out there doing that, which is super exciting. And now you get to come home and – Put all those things into practice, but there's a lot going on here. <laughs> Thankfully,
1: you know you're you're here holding the fort down, and we've got older kids, and so there's a lot happening between remodels and uh, getting animals out to pasture and and fencing. We've got what 200 meat birds, meat chicks, 200 in the brooder right now, about to go out in a week, and so we're getting ready for that mm-hmm. and turkeys as well, and we've got pigs out on pasture and hopefully sheep if we can get all our ducks in a row.
0: So we have all those things going on. And then, of course, just the managing the problems from uh, from the water, which is a whole other set of projects that are working on. And I've been doing a bit of that just being here. Um, It's a little bright.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you're you've been really going, holding the fort down. Yeah. Managing everything here, dealing with a lot of things that I would deal with, like water issues and septic issues. Yeah. And, uh, and a bunch more. What else? Is well, you know on? what
0: it's like when you're used to having two parents involved in the household and then all of a sudden you don't have two parents involved in the household. You have to answer. One person has to answer everybody's questions. All of the questions, all the questions get asked like three and four times over and over again. Um, so I, I feel like I've answered questions, a lot of questions from people all day long, all the way from the construction teenagers down to the four year old asking all sorts of questions. So that that's a lot of what I've been. Oh, well, you, must, I, be, you
1: must be doing pretty good at it because you decided that we were going to answer we're gonna, questions we're here answer today. Questions. So. I've been
0: practicing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's right. But, but, but other news here. This is
0: the other thing I've been working on. Sorry, here, you move over there.
1: <laughs> Fine, block me out.
0: Screen. Like the new issue of the uh, In the Homestead Kitchen magazine is now out. This is a (laughs) this is a digital magazine, so um, it is. There are no more in physical existence besides this one. I just want to make it make it totally clear. But you can subscribe to get this magazine, Um, and every month we put out a brand new issue focused on a different type of food this month is on plums and it has my favorite recipes in here these are things that i either grew up with um i make around here for the house or other really really great recipes so you guys are always asking me for more recipes this is where i'm putting them and this month is plums so check out the link in the description wait wait wait
1: wait. it also makes a good shade structure
0: (laughs) Multi-use. Multi-use.
1: There we go. <laughs> All right, a little um, relief there.
0: Check out the link in the description so you can grab a subscription to it because it is a lot of fun. There's a lot of good stuff in there, and we keep adding more things to every issue because we're really enjoying creating this. It's been a lot of fun.
1: Sneak peek if you do sign up for the next issue, right? Oh. Oh, right there. That's what I was checking. Ah, next issue is
0: zucchini. That's the
1: following issue. That is a wonderful picture right there.
0: Yeah, good, good stuff. All right. So, diving into the questions of the day, we have a lot of them since this is. Do you need a hat? Now I took your hat.
1: Yeah, it's all
0: right. For those of you guys listening in on a podcast, it is bright and sunny out here. When we sat down, it was really nice and cloudy. And then the sky opened up and we're now sitting in the direct yep. sunlight. Nope. So we can
1: roll. We're okay,
0: good. keep going. All right. The first question is for you. Puffy, the campfire player on the make your own compost video asks, Do peanut shells have carbon? Also, is dandelion a problem in the compost or will it break down before sprouting? I don't want them growing in the garden.
1: So, absolutely, peanut shells have carbon. Just about everything has carbon, and, and that would be a brown. That would be in your carbon category, not your green nitrogen category. So, yes, as long as they've not been heavily sprayed, I don't know if you have a resource for them, which could be cool. I've never composted those, so I don't know how fast they're going to break down. But um, if you know they're clean, I would go for it and, and give it a run. As far as dandelions, um you know, if you're if you're turning your compost and keeping it warm, then even if they sprout, you're going to turn them back in. So if they sprout on the outside because it's kind of warm, you're just going to turn it back in and uh, it's not a problem. And if you want to kill those seeds, you can, you know, get into thermal composting, which takes attempts up to over 150 degrees. And that does kill most weed seeds. Um, that's, you know, little advanced method, but you can look that up can't talk about it all here but it is a way to kill them but don't worry about it just turn them in if they're sprouting you'll be good
0: so just to confuse the issue just a little bit the term carbon is a little misleading the way it's generally used in composting people talk about carbon rich nitrogen rich everything that's alive is carbon based right well it like, is yes did i miss that in, ba- in no
1: but but some things are heavier in carbon so you know a lot of things peanut peanut shells wood chips straw the bulk of what's there is, is carbon material it doesn't have it it's going to have other things in it it's going to have some nitrogen. Right. it's going to have other minerals and nutrient in it depending on what it is but it's it, it is a lot of carbon and carbon you know is the basis for life okay. it's the basis for soil for your organic matter which is what you're looking for to increase your organic matter in your soil ultimately building humus which gets a little more complicated and scientific but um So, it just doesn't have the ratio of some of the other things and specifically nitrogen Mm -hmm. that a nitrogen rich uh, material has. So, it really has to do with
0: uh, the ratio of carbon to to nitrogen because you don't have less carbon in something that's nitrogen rich. You just have more nitrogen.
1: Right. And you're looking for a ratio of, you're looking for a starting ratio, depending on who you listen to, of 30 to one, 30 parts um, carbon to one part nitrogen or 20 to one, that and, and that's what you're looking to start with. Generally, a finished compost is supposed to be somewhere around 12 to one. Now, you're getting into the science. Don't let that stuff trip you up. Just take, you can you can watch my video, learn about it, how to layer and, and, and the volumes and the amounts, and that gets you going. But technically, right. yes, you're looking for that ratio.
0: Okay, good.
1: Um, let's see, Rebecca Walden on intro to dehydrating. What is the best way to store dehydrated food? I see that people are half and half on mylar bags and mason jars for storage.
0: Hmm. You know, a lot of people have a lot of really strong opinions and if you went to somebody else's channel, they'd probably have an opinion about what is the best way to store food. But the reality is what you want to do is protect your food from air movement and from moisture. When you're talking about a dehydrated food and from light. Those are the big things. So if you have a dark cabinet, and you can put your food in a jar and have it sealed down, maybe just vacuum sealed, you're doing a great job. That is going to save your dehydrated food for a long time. Mylar bags can also work. They work well, too. So it's, you know, I really wouldn't go to best, honestly, for either of them. I think what ends up being best is what ends up being the most usable for you. In my house, I like to use jars. One, I don't like buying things just to throw them away. That's essentially what the Mylar bag is. It's just kind of holds it. And then, you know, you're not really generally reusing those. It depends on if you get the zip top kind or what you get. Um, But what I like about the jars is they sit on my shelf and I can see the food inside of them. If I can't see the food inside, because it's in a Mylar bag, I'm not going to grab it. I'm not going to use it. And it's just going to continue sitting on my shelf. It's just a fact of life in my house. So that is for me, actually, the bigger determining factor. Um, For some people, they may not have the shelf space for jars, or maybe they don't have the jars and they don't want to buy them. And so they're just going to stuff the food in a box somewhere anyways. In that case, a Mylar bag works great. So it's kind of a question of what works best for your household and your storage location. Okay, <clears throat> Okay. let's see. Ava bonjour on the Farm Fresh Eggnog video. Oh, this is an interesting, she asks a different type of question than we usually answer. Yeah. That is, would you ever consider doing a business masterclass? My husband and I live in Northern Canada and run a, run a seedling nursery part-time. We homestead and farm, but my husband still relies on his off-farm work for our family income family like yours are very inspiring because we're doing exactly what they would like to do. Um, but when it comes to running a business on a digital platform, we really don't know where to start.
1: Wow. Love that question. And and I mean, the short answer is yes, we would consider that. Um, we're entrepreneurs at heart. We were entrepreneurs before we started a homesteading family. We, we have been. We met, Matter of fact, we set out in our marriage when we got married. We had a choice of whether for me to go farther in college, I had had uh, graduated with associate's degree. Carolyn was graduating, and we decided to start a business that that we wanted that freedom. Yeah, and entrepreneurship goes hand in hand with homesteading. To us, it goes hand in hand with building resiliency and bringing families closer together. I mean, if you don't manage it well, it could be tough on a family, and it is sometimes. <laughs> but it brings people together, working together, and so there's a lot in this this life of this homesteading life. Uh, of building freedom and security of building family where entrepreneurship is we we love it and so we're about as passionate at that as we are about the homesteading here so we would definitely consider that um uh, definitely near and dear to my heart and um love the opportunity to share that if it would help people one day yeah yeah
0: yeah we have a very you know unique perspective of learning how to work together as a couple too. And as a family, you talked about the challenges in that a little bit. And that there, those are real challenges. Um, But like Josh said, It can be a very bonding experience getting to work with somebody and just figuring out how to work with a spouse or your children or other family members is a really good thing if it's good. (laughs) There's a lot there.
1: Yeah. And really, in this context, there's a lot there besides just the business principles, which are very, very important. And you do need to understand Mm -hmm. business principles, but then combining that in. Um, with family life and doing it here instead of some business out in a shop somewhere okay. or whatever is, is another story. So, um, yeah, that would be a good thing to share.
0: Yeah. Be fun
1: Okay. Um, uh, El- Elianad on canning chicken, genuine question. How do you deal with raising what you eat? Do you ever get attached to certain animals? Want to be homesteader. <laughs>
0: Ah, that yeah. is the question. Isn't
1: I, I, it? I think it is. And I think it is a challenging for a lot of people. We we were both raised with some connection to animals, to horses, both of us a mm-hmm. lot. That's that's actually how, you know, we, we met, spent our time together early on was riding horses. But uh, you know, I worked on a cattle ranch, we always had dogs, cats, you guys always had chickens. Um and and so there is a healthy balance. Mm-hmm in being respectful and thankful and yet harvesting life and and look in this life it takes death to give life it takes death to sustain us and that's a spiritual truth that's a and that's a physical truth something has to die even plants if you're even if you're not eating animals and so we have to deal with that reality and i think it's important to respect the life to take good care of it and you know the bible teaches very very clearly to take good care of our animals in the land and to steward them and so that's very important but at the end of the day those animals are often there to feed us and so yeah we we have a balance we get to know our animals we get to love them even some of the ones that we're harvesting um and we try to be careful about how we name them but the kids always want to name them and they've kind of grown up knowing that okay these animals guys we're going to be eating so you know um, just think about what you're naming them and how you're getting attached to them. And our kids have grown up with that. Yeah. So I think they're finding a good balance. Yeah. I, I could see where that would be really hard if you're stepping in a little later in life and you've just had cats and dogs and, you know, those animals that we don't harvest and that we love and we're much more attached to a deeper level. Um, but, but there is a way to navigate that and, and to find that balance of, of loving the animals, treating them well. Um, enjoying them while they're here, and yet moving through that cycle of life and death, and in, and, and ultimately into consuming them and being, uh, what was I say, nutrified, fortified, fed.
0: <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I think there's a a misconception that at some point you get to where you just, you know, can put your animals and there's no feeling involved in that. And I honestly, I think that would be a really unhealthy place. Yes, it would. You you should not just feel like Happy-go-lucky about the whole thing And like oh I love butchering day You know I mean you may love elements of butchering day Working with your family something like that But if you get to a place where you Enjoy the butchering That's not right That's unhealthy yeah. yeah the killing part um, And so I think I think there's a place Where we have to be okay with the fact That we are keenly aware that we're taking A life and that That is like Josh Said It is a reality that in order for us to live, something dies. And being involved in that process and being aware of that and being, you know, intimately aware where it's a little uncomfortable actually makes you so much more respectful of your food and of what you're doing. And so, you know, you probably never going to get to a place where you just don't feel. Um, And that's good. I think it's a good thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but it it richens the journey to have that connection with our food and that engagement to have raised them to be doing it in a manner that it's not just animals that we're raising up to kill and eat. I mean, I mean, some people do that, I suppose, but there is a full cycle and a full picture here of family, of land, of stewardship, of relationship, and it all intertwines and mixes together. And I'm not the poet. words that some people are like maybe brandon Sheard or joel salatin but but it enriches life and it's good to be connected to and it's good to go out there and have chicken butchering day and on one day in one way be thankful for what we're receiving for working together as a family but at the other at the other way you know going man i don't really like this and the kids sometimes don't like it and go yeah we understand it's it's not we shouldn't really like it Mm -hmm. you know in that part of it in that sense of it um but we can have thankful hearts and, and um, enjoy the journey.
0: Yeah. Yep. Good. Okay. Gabby Gertie on how we raise a year's worth of meat says, we invested in a large freezer and stocked up on meat that was on sale. Oh, right. Yay. go. Now there are fears of power outages. How do I can all that meat and prepare meals without having food fatigue? We use beef, for instance, for stew, beef and noodles, beef pot pie not sure what to do with it how would you use canned cube pork a little frustrated here
1: so let me answer the first part and then she'll deal with the canning part and and look you you i think canning and having canned meat on the shelf is great but you also only have so many hours in the day and to convert all that is a lot of energy and a lot of work so convert some of it but get yourself a small uh generator like a honda eu Um, or something small that's a two to 3,000, you know, 2KW, 3KW generator to back up your, your freezers. If you don't have a full house system yet of backup, get something specifically to back those freezers up. They can go two to three days for one just fine if you don't open them a lot. But then have a small generator to keep them running, and that right there helps a lot. Yeah. And then, you know, and so just get that you've then got that security and you don't have to worry about it. And then as you can build up the other stores, the the canning.
0: Yeah. Um, That was going to be the first thing I was going to say, too, is is don't don't necessarily try to take a whole freezer and can it Um, and don't do it off of rumors of power outages because. You know what? We were just talking about this with the kids. Most of the things we are concerned about and we hear rumors about never happen. Oh, Thomas right? Jefferson. I was. Yeah. We
1: were at Monticello. Oh yes. Recently, yeah. and that's on one of his little ten top things. You right. know, you know about like ninety percent of the things that we're we worry about don't happen.
0: Yeah. So I wouldn't I wouldn't start scrambling or act out of fear on that one. But uh, getting a, the uh, the generators probably the top one, and then what I would do is to start canning different recipes with the meat, turn it into complete meals. That way, if you do have power outages, you have really easy dinners on hand. So, um, you know, there's a lot of really good meals. Get yourself a ball blue book. If you are a member in my membership, I have a complete meal uh, challenge in there, canning challenge in there that just takes you through a whole recipe book of different meals you can use. So, you know, whatever it is, however you find your recipes, just uh, start putting things on the shelf with that so that you do have a backup. Because like Josh says, if the power goes out, one of the key things to keeping your freezer frozen is not to open it. So it'll be really great if you can just go to your pantry instead of going to your freezer to get out meat in that scenario.
1: And what that canned meat does is exactly that. You don't have to open the freezer. You also have a ready meal, like Carolyn's saying, instead of just the meat, have a ready meal, because that's a moment when you need those ready meals. Now, you know, now you've got to manage a few generators. You've got other issues potentially with the power being out. And so your time's distracted and you need those meals to get you through. So you're not having to prep while you're dealing with this event. Right. Yeah. You're not having to do meal prep so much.
0: So instead of just trying to meal, you know, can one thing like just ground beef or something like that, instead find recipes for whole meals that uses the ground beef in it. So that then you end up with these great whole meals and you don't battle food fatigue, which let me just say is a very real thing. I, I, I'm subject to food fatigue, if it's food that I don't like very much. Um, So it's good to mix up the diet. Remember
1: never to live in fear. We want to be aware of the potential problems, and we want to be working to solve them and taking the best steps we can, one step at a time, but you have to work from where you're at. And this is why we focus a lot on solutions and not a lot on the problems they're there We know they're there sometimes we talk about them But our channel is not here to to blow up and expose all the issues and all the stuff going on in the world It's about how, how do we live through it? What are the problems? We want to encourage you to do the same thing and look for the solutions I might have said that wrong, but look for the solutions yeah. stay solution oriented be aware of the problems and then in confidence, step forward, doing the best you can where you're at.
0: And that's probably a great place to wrap up for today. I've got a, uh, somewhere I have to be in just a few minutes, so. Well,
1: gotta be live in the membership, right? I have to be live in the membership right? live so you membership guys, for my something week to week know live. about yeah. the membership is that Carolyn's in there live once a week, generally.
0: Generally, yeah.
1: And uh, so that's another place to connect, but that is inside. So if you're not familiar with the membership we have, you should check that out at the
0: Cool. So make sure you check out the magazine link in the description and we will see you guys. Put
1: August 1st on your calendar, Sarli. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. August you 1st. Got- Keep Be ready for that announcement. <laughs> That'll yep. be exciting. It's okay. okay. See
0: you guys soon. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pantry Chat, Food for Thought. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review.
0: To view the show notes and any other resources mentioned on this episode, you can learn more at homesteadingfamily.com slash podcast.
1: We'll see you soon.
0: Goodbye.